You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. Very good morning. Who's already glad that they came? That's, oh good. We can go home now. It's a beautiful spring day. No, do not do that. Um, Good morning. For those who don't know me, my name's Chad. And uh, if you've come for Elvis this morning, no one came for Elvis this morning. He was there. That's right. He was. He was here during setup. Now, listen, the last two years on this Sunday, uh, coinciding with the Rock and Roll Festival, we actually hosted an Elvis concert for those who don't know my inference there. But Elvis is not in the building today, okay? But I can do a number if you like. Ready? Strike. Start the tape. Start the tape. I, w- I will not do that to you. Uh, but very good morning. If uh, you are visiting with us, if you're not part of the Bayside family, you're here for the weekend, you are family of family, you're friends of family. If this is the very first time you've ever been in a church environment, we would love to put our hands together for you and welcome you here today. And uh, just thank you for your courage uh, on venturing into a uh, peculiar place with peculiar people. And curtains that don't go all the way to the ceilings and carpet that doesn't go all the way to the walls. But it's my mission to remedy this very soon. All right. Well, about five or six years ago, um, uh, we sat around as a leadership team and we said we we felt like we should have a a nation uh, that we focus an investment, uh, a concerted effort of our investment of our time and ministry effort into. Um, it is nice, it is good, it is wise to have solid targets that you can aim for um, so, um, so you can invest over long term. And in about five or six years ago, Alex and myself with Marty Stockdale, Andrew McGrath, a couple of pastor friends of ours, we went to the Philippines and uh, as part of that venture, we said, Lord, would you please, as we were meeting a number of people, a number of Filipino pastors that already read my book and were familiar with me and so I had particular doors of opportunity open there um, but I also said Lord would you connect our hearts with the right people and uh, you all know this the dynamic of chemistry the dynamic of DNA the dynamic of connection some people you really click with others you just don't and for the most part that is actually okay and and so we met a number of pastors visited a number of churches and we're saying Lord would you please connect us with the right people that you would um, you know if you have friends for us to meet if you have long-term relationships you want to knit us into and we were so grateful that uh, as it turned out the people that we did not intend to meet on that visit we ended up meeting Jocelle and Mylene Evangelista at the time they were leading a church called New Life the Fort uh, which met in a movie cinema and I think back then still had six services in a row Uh, six and uh, I think it was the year or two after I was invited back and spent a whole series of Sunday meetings in their building. They actually gave me a t-shirt. Um, so that's why this is on display here. This is my, it was, it's Asian sizing, so it's too small for me to wear. But, um, but oh, that's right. We weren't meant to let you know. Uh, that was rude. Uh, so we mounted it. Uh, this is a a grace to preach six services on a Sunday uh, because a few years ago, I was one of only a, a handful of people that did six sermons in a row and at two hours apart from each other on a Sunday, that was a big day. And I th- how many people have done that now? Uh, maybe about eight. 
maybe about eight people. So we're a very select group of people that have one of these T-shirts. Uh, but uh, maybe close to two years or just over a year ago now, Mylene and Giselle uh, handed over the leadership uh, position of that church to another couple. They're two ICs at the time and uh, we were again uh, with them in March and uh, they're entering into a new season in a new church uh, environment for them and, uh, and Mylene shared a bit about that uh, with the ladies at Wild Strong and Free. But it's a great privilege to have Mylene in the house. She is not only a dynamic minister of what? I'm allowed to talk well of you. Yeah. She's not only a dynamic preacher of God's word with a passion for Christ, but uh, we consider her and her husband, Joselle, friends of ours. And uh, one of the best things to have come out of that first ministry trip six years ago was meeting these two. Would you please put your hands together and welcome Mylene. My dear, come on. Now, do we want to say hello to Joselle? while you've got Lee here with a, with a camera. Oh, are you recording? Would that be a good idea? Yes, it would be a very good idea. Yeah, how about y'all, y'all stand to your feet and we'll say a big g'day to Josel back home. Lee, why don't you take stand up there next to the guitar or something? I hope the, I know the light's going to be, uh, we've got natural light in the background. Come here, Mylene. Oh, this is fun. Are we going to do this? Okay. Okay, tell us when you're rolling. Joselle, <laughs> I'll start. Joselle, thank you so much for allowing Mylene to come and bless us both in New Zealand and in Australia. We've had a blast with her from all of us here at Bayside Church this morning. Thank you and g'day, mate. Hello. It's Bayside. Bless you, bro. We'll see you here next time with her. Yes. We know she's the better of the better half, but we'll, of course, the of two course. of you to be, yeah. together would be great. Yeah. yeah, so I'll see you Tuesday, honey. Oh, oh she kept that very yeah, G-rated. All right. Bless you. Hands together for Mylene. Bless you, Gail. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. It has been such an amazing weekend here at Victor Harbor. You know, thank you, Chad. And, uh, you know, as Chad was saying, I think one of the highlights, you know, I like to talk about this, and if you were at the women's conference, I talked about seasons, right? And I talked about times and seasons. And, you know, you have your chronological time where, you know, you just... Do what you got to do, your flatline thing. But we have Kairos time wherein specific events, specific encounters happen and there are spikes in your life. And when we met uh, Jay and Chad, that was a spike right there in our life. Seriously, no, seriously. But uh, last night, it was so funny, Jay uh, introduced me at the panel and he said, well, I met Mylene, you know. Uh, well, Chad had come back from the Philippines on a trip because you weren't with Jay at that time, I remember. And you had told her, you had come home and you said, Jay, I met us, but Filipinos. And I looked at Jay, he said that, and I, you know, that is so true. So I'm finding my light, I'm finding my light right now. You know, because we both found out we have theater backgrounds. And Jay's gorgeous. So there you go. But anyway... Do I need to change my mic? My voice is too loud? No. All right. Okay. So anyway, so it was amazing to have met them. And I, I, I remember the first time we met you. Um, I think you didn't plan to attend any big event in Manila, right? You were out going into the provinces with other pastors. So they were so ready for that in their board shorts, you know, in their 
t-shirts and board shorts. And so we invited them <laughs> to Jesus Festival in this big venue. And they all come in in their board shorts and they're like, oh. And we made them sit in front and everybody's in their Sunday's best. And, you know, and it's like, <laughs> that was pretty hilarious. But, but, <laughs> no, no, but we're very casual people. I mean, you know, it was just for that. But, but the thing is, the thing is about, about this relationship is that Jay and Chad have blessed the nation so very much. They have imparted so much, not just to our church, but to, to the body of Christ. Because when they came over uh, to the Philippines, and they did that two years in a row for Jesus Festival. Am I right? Two years in a row for Jesus Festival. They not only imparted to our church, but they imparted to the body of Christ in the Philippines. Because Jesus Festival is a gathering of the different churches and denominations. And whoever loves Jesus, they're welcome to come. And we had about maybe a lay 2,000-something uh, people, leaders, pastors from all over the nation and from other nations to come in. And so uh, what I appreciate about you, Chad, is just what you have sown into our nation, not just our church, but our nation. And so I, I do recognize, really, the apostolic mandate that is on your life. I really, really do. And I am so glad to be partnering with this couple right here. These are champions. These are legends. And you're very blessed to have them as your pastors. Seriously, this is a great church. This is a great house, you know, and Giselle and I, on behalf of, of my husband, we would like to thank you. Thank you for inviting us in here, you know, and uh, hey, Giselle, I got to do it first. So there you go. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> so we would just have to come back. How's that uh, with family? Because we really love this place. But anyway, um, I believe that I have a word uh, in season for us today. I mean, it's, it's just been such a... Um, a glorious time in the presence of God and in the word. And I believe that he has set up the atmosphere for this word to be preached in the house. And uh, I want to talk to you today about it's time to believe. It's time to believe. If you want a title for the message, it's time to believe. So I believe that the Holy Spirit is here and he's a great teacher. And as he's here today, he's going to show us more of Jesus and who he is and his loveliness. He's going to reveal more uh, of, of our salvation and who we are in him and what we can do in him. And I thank you, Father, just for your amazing presence in this house. Just from walking into this door, Lord God, I thank you for just that glory that's encamped in this place today. And I thank you for the atmosphere of the word to go forth into three realms, the spirit, the soul, and even the body. So healing goes forth into those three areas, the spirit, the soul, and in the body, because I believe that your word will not come back void. And so I just thank you for this time in Jesus name and all God's expectant people say, amen. Amen. All right. It's time to believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? We're called believers. Amen. So as believers, we believe. <laughs> so fishermen, they fish. You know, uh, lawyers, they law. Uh, <laughs> believers, we believe. That is what we are called to do. The just shall live by faith. So that is the environment. That is the culture. That is what we do as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So what it, does it mean to believe? And so I looked it up. I looked it up in Google. Google says, to believe is to accept something as true, as genuine, or real. It is to have a firm conviction as to the goodness and the efficacy of something or someone. That's what it means to believe. And so I'm going to show you four things. Chad does three points. I'll do four. Four things we need to believe for or believe in. Are you ready? All right. The first thing is this. It is time to believe for much more 
than what we deserve. It is time to believe for much more than what we deserve. What was given to us through the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not because we deserved it. It's not because we earned it. It's not because we strive for it, performed well for it. What was given to us through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is all by his grace. We did not deserve it. We could not earn it even if we wanted to. And yet God, in his goodness and his grace, he came down and he paid the penalty for sin and death. And he gave us everlasting life. It is a free gift. Hallelujah. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 in the Amplified Bible, it says, For it is by free grace, by free grace, God's unmerited favor that you are saved, delivered from judgment. I love that. To be saved means you're delivered from judgment and made partakers or receivers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Our salvation is a gift from God. It is meant to be received. If we work for it, it's not a gift anymore. It's called wages. It's called salary. You perform for it. But salvation is a gift of God. And it says, not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. So if we are expecting the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives, then it has to be based on the grace of God and not our works. That has to be the foundation of everything that we, we believe in, everything that we believe for. It is the grace of God. Romans 4, 13 to 16 in the New Living Translation. Now, I must say I have a lot of verses here because I'm a woman and I like to talk a lot. And uh, so I have all these different translations. I have the Amplified. I have the ESV. I have the New Living Translation. I have the Message Bible. See, my husband doesn't stand a chance when we have conversations. So, <laughs> so I will say this. It's good to have a lot of word thrown out there. Then you kind of just process it out later. Is that all right? So Romans 4, 13 to 16, New Living Translation says, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. If we could earn or do well or perform for the fulfillment of a promise, what do we need faith for? But the just shall live by faith. And then it says in verse 15, for the law always tries to bring, uh, always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. That is a whole message altogether. So let's go to verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it. Now I love that. It says we are all, we are all, each and every one of you are certain to receive it. That is our assurance. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. So the Bible says we need faith, but faith in who? Not faith in ourselves, but faith in God. Faith in the one who can fulfill the promise. Faith in the one who can give us what we do not deserve. Amen. 
I love verse 16 in the Amplified Bible. It says, therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith. In order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed. Stable, valid, guaranteed to all his descendants. I like that. I like surety. I like certainty. I like the certainty of God's word. I like the stability of the word of God. And it says in here, I didn't say it, God did, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed. It has to be by faith, by grace through faith. It has to be, I trust in your grace and I receive it by faith. You know, faith and grace always work together. They always work together. You can't have one without the other. Because it is faith that receives what grace freely gives. Amen. And so here, if our faith is rooted in our ability, it is to no effect. I'll say that again. If our faith is rooted in our ability to perform, it is to no effect. And I'd like to give you a simple illustration. How many of you would like 50 Australian dollars? All right, Crystal. So you better do this well, because, you know. Oh, well, there you go. All right, now, now. Crystal, just stay down there. Let me explain. Those who don't know this. Now, Crystal ran because she knows I have $50. And because I'm a good person. You are. Yes. Because I am a good person, I have the ability and the willingness to give her $50. Hence her running towards that, yay! Right? Because she sees I have it, and she knows I'm willing to give it. Now, let's just say, I tell you, Crystal, I will give you this $50 only if you jump up and touch the ceiling right now. Can you do it? But yeah, you'll try to do it. Ah, oh, A, A minus for effort. <clears throat> You want to do that again? Maybe you should stand here. Come on, put a, put a little more work in it. Work, work, work for it. Come on. Woo! Closer, but not good enough. So now if I ask her, do you now have faith to receive these $50? Not really. Why? Because now it depends on her effort. Because now it depends on what she can do that the only way she can receive is if she does something, and perfectly at that. But guess what? It's impossible. Do you know that it's impossible to obey all the law? It's impossible to obey all the law. That's why God did what we could not do. He sent Jesus Christ to fulfill the law for us. For us. So that we could be receivers of the promise. But because I am good, and I have the ability to give you $50, and it is all by the grace of God. Here you go. Enjoy. Hallelujah. See, the thing is, it's not that God is unwilling or unable to give you or fulfill his promise to you. No, but if we continually think that we have to work for it, we have to earn it, it causes this inability to receive from God. So it's not that God doesn't want to give. It's that our mindset is focused on the wrong thing 
that we can't even receive if we wanted to because we think, oh, I'm so unworthy. I mean, you know what? We are. We are. We don't deserve it. But Jesus paid for it. And if it's paid for, I'll receive what he paid for. I'll receive everything he paid for. Amen. Romans 5, 8 in the Message Bible says, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. I love how the Message Bible says it. He says, God put his love on the line. That means he took a risk. He took a risk. When you put something on the line, you're kind of taking a risk right there, aren't you? And what risk was he taking? Well, guess what? You know, some people would receive him. Some people don't. They won't. Some people would persecute him. You know, God knew exactly what Jesus was getting into when he sent Jesus Christ. I mean, it says here, while we were of no use to him, when we did not deserve it, he sent his son. He gave the best gift. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, 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 whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is whoever. He gave Jesus with no guarantees. No guarantees, no background check, nothing. It's whoever would believe. I mean, I would not give a total stranger, my children, like, hey, total stranger, come. I'm leaving the country for two weeks. Can you take care of my kids? I'm not going to do that with a total stranger. I'm going to do a background check. I'm going to check out like, have you done anything wrong? Or are you a great person or whatever it is? And if I see any spot in your record at all, you're not taking care of my kids. But Jesus didn't do that. God said, I'm sending Jesus Christ to you. I don't care. You're no use whatsoever to me, but I love you. And I'm not going to do a background check. And he knew exactly what was going to happen when he sent Jesus Christ on the earth. He knew he would be persecuted. He knew he would be rejected. He knew he would die for the sins of the world. And yet he gave Jesus. Do you remember the story of Barabbas? The story of Barabbas was that on the day that Jesus was to be crucified, there was a um, kind of like a Passover tradition, if you might call it, to release one prisoner during the Passover. And so Pilate, who actually kind of wanted to, to kind of get Jesus to go scot-free. He could not find fault in Jesus. So he said, well, so he presented Jesus and he presented Barabbas. And he said, which one of these two would you like me to release to you? Hoping that it would be Jesus. But guess what? The people cried out for Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas, a criminal convicted on death row. Barabbas, who did not deserve any good, and yet the people chose him. Well, guess what? God knew the people would choose Barabbas. He wasn't surprised that the people chose Barabbas. He set up this popularity contest between Jesus and Barabbas, and he knew Barabbas would win. And yet he still gave Jesus. And Jesus, he went to the cross well, Barabbas, who didn't deserve anything, went scot-free. And you know what? I'm not a great scholar. You know, I do know, like, like, the word and all that, but I don't know about commentaries. But just based on the word, I do not see any account of Barabbas coming to Jesus at the foot of the cross and saying, Oh, my God, I'm so sorry, you know, I repent. No, as far as you can tell, Barabbas never came back. And yet, Jesus came for Barabbas. And he did not deserve it. And nothing to show for it. You know that we are Barabbas? We are Barabbas. We were supposed to be convicted of 
death. We were on criminal death row. We were on our way to hell. But Jesus came for us. Let's give, that's for Jesus. That's for Jesus. He came for us. And I am so glad that we responded to his love and his grace and his mercy. Because for the joy that was set before him on the cross, he endured the shame. We are the joy that was set before him. He saw it worth it to come down and die for us. Amen? So pray. Pray for that which you think you don't deserve. It's okay. We didn't deserve eternal life, yet he gave, gave the greatest gift ever to us. So believe. It's time to believe for things you don't deserve. Don't believe the lie of the enemy to say, how can you even ask for that? Do you know what you did? You did. Oh, Jesus knows what you did, and yet he came. So it's time to believe for something much more than what you deserve. The second thing, it's time to believe that God is good. Oh, I love the songs today. I was just like, God, I thank you that you're confirming your word. He wants us to know that he is good no matter what. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe that he is who he says he is, that he is healer, that he is provider, that he is comforter, that he is good always, that he doesn't change, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is delivered, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. We must believe that he is good. And that he is good no matter what. He's good in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecutions. He is good all the time. If you want to have perfect theology, know this. God is good and the devil is bad and you're off to a great start. God is good. The devil is bad. Any bad thing that happens to you, not from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so here we can see that God wants us to realize that he is good all the time. And if God never, ever, ever did anything for me again but give Jesus Christ, if that is all he ever did, if that is all he ever did, I would worship him because Jesus is good enough for me. He is more than enough for me. He is that good. But you know what? The Bible says that with Jesus, he still freely gives us all things. That's how good he is. Amen? And so salvation is because he is good, not because we are good. Because we weren't. <laughs> we were his enemies. And yet he came. In Romans 5, 8 to 11, this time in the New Living Translation, it says, But God showed his great love, his great love for us, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So if God gave his son Jesus to die for us, for us while we were still sinners, how much more will we be saved from his anger and his wrath now that we are children of God? We're children of God now. If he was good to us while we were still sinners, how much more good will he be to us now today? 
Let me tell you something. The gospel is the same for unbelievers and believers. You might be thinking, huh? Yeah, isn't it? Well, it should be. But sometimes I see this happen. Not in Victor Harbor. Not in our church. Somewhere. But you have a crusade and you call out all the unbelievers. So all the unbelievers and the sinners come down. And what is your message? God loves you. Come as you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done. Come to Jesus. His arms are open. He died for you. He loves you. He has forgiven you of all your sin. Come, come and receive him. Isn't that the message that we preach when we have crusades? And then in some churches, I hear this. Oh, how dare you as a Christian backslide and fall into sin. The wrath of God has come upon you now. Repent! Or I'll see you in hell. Oh, whatever. And all of a sudden you're like, uh, what? Let me just go back to being an unbeliever. No. The gospel is the same for an unbeliever and for a believer. Because you know what? As believers, we will miss the mark. We will fail at some point. We'll backbite. We'll gossip. I don't know. I don't think anybody's ever done this here. <sighs> You know, but, but the message is the same. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's even better. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. You are, that's not who you are. That's not your identity. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are the apple of Vesta. Come on, pick yourself up. God still loves you. There is a throne of grace where you can enter in with boldness. There is a throne of grace where you can enter in and receive whatever you need. God still loves you. Come on. The best place to come, like some people, when they're so condemned and they're so convicted of sin, they run away from church. No, run to church. Run to church when you feel bad and you feel ashamed and you think, oh my goodness, God. No, run to church because God's arms are open wide for you. You're his son. You're his daughter. How can he ever say no to you? He will love you no matter what. Amen. So we have to believe that God is that good and he loves us that much. Amen. Now, this is how good God is. Do I have time, Chad? I don't know what time am I going to preach. Yep, okay. Don't worry, I'll, I'll let you off by lunch. All right, this is how good God is. Are you, are you still okay? Genesis 9, in Genesis 9, 12 to 17, in the New Living Translation, and this was um, uh, Noah's account, all right, uh, of the flood, after the flood. It says, then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you, and with all living creatures for all generations to come. So this covenant was going to be an everlasting covenant. All right? Because it was for all generations to come. And he says, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. Right there. Rainbow. You have, look up, ceiling, rainbow. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. So when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. clouds and I will remember my covenant. He keeps saying this covenant. I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. And never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. And God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. So God makes an everlasting covenant. It's a covenant that stands forever. But what was the covenant that the rainbow is a sign of? 
Now, we all know when the rainbow first appeared. It first appeared after the flood. All right? So now Isaiah makes mention of this. In Isaiah 54, he talks about this covenant. Isaiah 54, 9 to 10 in the Amplified says, For this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. This is the covenant. So have I sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. For though the mountains should depart and the hills be shaken or removed, yet my love and kindness shall not depart from you. Nor shall my covenant of peace and completeness be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. We have got to believe that God is good. His covenant with us, His everlasting covenant is that He is not going to be angry with us ever again. Why? He poured His wrath, all of His wrath on the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. All His anger, all the punishment was on the body of His Son. There is no wrath, there is no anger left in the heart of God for us. Only love and grace and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. That is all that God has in his heart for us. And I love that the rainbow came out after the flood because the story of the flood is the story of the redeemed in Christ. The story of Noah and the flood, the ark, is a picture of Jesus Christ. The ark and pitch the pitch that covered the ark, actually it means propitiation or satisfaction. Jesus was the satisfaction of the wrath of God. So Noah and his family who were in the ark were protected from the judgment of sin that came upon the earth. And we who are in Christ, we are in Christ. We are covered in Him. We are in Him. We are delivered from judgment. First verse that I read. We have been delivered from judgment. We are in the ark. Now you might say, well, I still fall. I still fail. Yeah. You think Noah and his family just stood upright in the ark? No. Guess what? They were in a storm. They were in a flood. Big waters. The, the, the ark was tossed to and fro. And guess what? They were like, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, oh. And maybe, maybe, just maybe they, oh, oh, they fell. But guess what? They fell in the ark. They didn't fall out of the ark. I don't think they could have fallen out of the ark even if they wanted to. Because God shut the door of the ark. And nobody could open that door except God. So, God is good. God is good. So even if they wanted to, uh, uh, they couldn't fall out of the ark. Ah! That's how secure we are in Him. Woo! That is good news. We are secure in Him. We are in Christ. He is that good to us. And you know, it's not just a door. There was like a window. That was the only thing. There was one door that was shut up by God, and there was a window. You know why? The window was up high. It was high. Because He always wanted them to look up. To look up. Even if they fall, look up. Look up. Gives you the ability to stand up again. Hallelujah. So as a believer, when you fall, you fall in Christ. So God's promise of never being angry with us again is because Jesus already paid the price for our sin. That's why. He's not, he's not saying, oh, okay, it's okay to sin. No, he paid the price for sin. And that's why today 
He is only love and compassion for us. Amen. Romans 8.32 in the Amplified says, He who did not withhold or spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all other things? So it's time to believe for what we do not deserve. It is time to believe that God is good. The third thing, it is time to believe that God has good plans for us. God has good plans for each and every one of us. Jeremiah 29, 11 in the New Living Translation. For I know, God is speaking, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. These are God's plans for me. And we need to believe this, even if it seems like this, his promise won't ever come to pass. Sometimes it seems that way, right? Or is it just me? Like when everything is hopeless, we need to believe that he still has a good plan for us. You know, how many of you pray like this? Because I certainly pray like this sometimes. I say, God, I am believing for, um, for tuition fee for my daughter, for example. I'm believing for tuition fee for my daughter. So I thank you, Lord, that I'm going to get this job so that when I get this job, I have money to pay for my tuition fee. So I'm going to have favor with this particular boss in this particular company. And you tell God how he's supposed to do it. <laughs> Anybody in there praying like that? Yes. We kind of pray to God, God, I want you to provide. And we have all these things, and this is how he's going to do it. But God's ways and God's thoughts are higher. And he knows better. And he knows what we need at the right time. And sometimes when things seem to not go the way we want it to go, we get disappointed and we get hurt at God. We say, God, I prayed. I thought you answered prayer. And God is saying, uh, yes, but the way you wanted me to do it is not the way I want to do it. You will have to trust me that the answer is going to come some other way. And in the meantime, still believe that I have good plans for you. We have to believe that God has good plans for us. In Romans 4, 18 to 19 in the Message Bible, story of Abraham, it says, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. You know, it's like I could believe, I could not believe. You know what? I'll believe anyway. I'm just going to believe that he still has good plans for me. I mean, the promise was given to him, what, like 90 years ago? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I've got to get my facts right. But anyway, I mean, it was years, years, years before the promised son came. And then in between that, he said, you know what, God, I'm just, just going to do it on my own. Hagar. You know? But in the midst of that, look at what he says. He says, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live. Now, this is the key. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. So it was like, it's hopeless. I can't do anything. So you know what, God? I'm just going to believe that what you said, you're going to bring it to pass. I believe that's the best place to be. And then he said here, and so he was made a father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham did not focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and go, oh, no. He didn't do that. He didn't survey 
Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. Do you know what to survey mean? It means to examine the situation, to appraise. They're kind of looking. It's impossible. What am I going to do? You know, no matter how you look at it, it's still impossible. But hoping against hope, Abraham believed. The Bible says he did not weaken in faith because he believed God had good plans for him. He focused on God's ability and not his inability. We need to do that if we are to believe that God still has good plans for us. Don't look at your circumstance. Look to God. You can glance at your circumstance, but your stare belongs to God. Your worship belongs to God. Your focus belongs to God. And there'll be a tugging. Yeah, yeah. And look to God. And look to God. Because when it's hopeless, only God can fulfill it. When it's impossible, only God can make it possible. Amen. So, we may be small, but God is huge. We may have limitations, but God is limitless. We are weak, but God is strong. We are finite, but God is infinite. We are imperfect, but God is perfect. And we fail, but God never fails. So we need to believe that God has good plans for us. And Ephesians 2.10 says this, the last verse before I go to my fourth point. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Look, look. Look at all the descriptions of the plans that he has made for us. He says it's predestined, it's planned beforehand, it's prepared ahead of time, it is prearranged, and it is made ready for us to live. All we need to do is believe, receive, walk in it. Get promises from the word of God. These promises are for you. These promises are so fear leaves. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear wants to paralyze you. Fear wants to cripple you. Fear comes in so you do not walk in your destiny. But God wants to take that fear away. And the way to take fear out is you get the word into your heart. You get his love into your heart. You believe that God is good no matter what. You believe for things you do not deserve. You believe that he has good plans for you. That is what you do in fear. Fear needs to go because we have not been given a spirit of fear but a power of love and of a sound mind. Let me say something about fear. I said this in the women's conference. Fear comes, and it's usually in an area of our weakness. Because we don't want to step out because we feel we are weak in that area. But that is the very area that God wants to shine in. And so what, what the enemy does, he brings fear into that area so that you back off, so you're intimidated. But God says, no, that is the area where I want to shine in. That is the area where I want you strong in my strength. And that is the area of which I'm going to launch you into the next level of your destiny and your purpose. And the enemy knows that. And that's why he brings fear into that particular area. I remember when Pastor Giselle and I, you know, uh, Josel was uh, the worship leader at that time. He was not a pastor. He had no intention of being a pastor. I had no dreams of becoming a pastor's wife. I did not want to become a pastor's wife. You know how God works. 
<laughs> so he was leading worship. I was back at the book table selling books. I was very happy to do that. And then the pastor of our church, he was going to leave for the United States at that time. His season was coming to a close. He was interviewing all these people, you know, who was going to take the church. And so we're there, you know, waiting for the new pastor to come in. And all of a sudden, Giselle comes into my room and says, Mylene. I said, yes. And he said, God just said, I'm supposed to take the church. And I look at him like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? You're going to be a pastor? I said, oh, my gosh, poor congregation. Because he was so shy. I mean, he would lead worship, then he would give the mic to the pastor. So he didn't want to speak. I mean, and he really didn't like to be around people. Uh, you know, I was the one who was kind of like, you know, like, I like people. Hi, hello. And he'd be tugging at my skirt going, let's go, let's go, let's go. So when God was like, I'm gonna, you're going to be the pastor of this church, I went, you've got to be kidding me. And it was like, we were like, no, we were afraid. Because we... How, how could we do this? We had no training to become pastors. We had ah, no idea. That was an area of weakness. And we could have said, eh, not going to do it. Because we were intimidated. We were intimidated by the responsibility. We were like, no, we can't do this. No, we can't do that. But that was the very area where God wanted to shine. He says, no, in your weakness, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to show the world what I can do with a people who are just willing to step out on water and obey God. That's all you need to do is to trust me. And I'm so glad that he said yes. I said, I said yes after a week, but he said yes first. So he said yes, and he stepped out. And you know what? God just did the rest. Because where we are right now. So, to quote Jay, she said something very wonderful in New Zealand. She said, you have no idea the largeness of what you are saying yes to. So don't let fear paralyze you. Just say yes to God. Ooh, I threw that in there. Just like that. The fourth thing. <laughs> fourth thing. It is time to believe for miracles. It is time to believe for miracles. Miracles did not go out with the apostles in the Old Testament. Miracles are for the here and miracles are for the now. So miracles. I love what... Um, the Webster's Dictionary defines as miracle. And I looked it up. I said, ooh, this is pretty cool because it's under Christian science. Hmm. But this is what it says. A miracle is a divinely natural phenomenon experienced humanly as the fulfillment of spiritual law. Ooh, I will. A miracle is a divinely natural phenomenon experienced humanly as the fulfillment of spiritual law. We need to realize that there is a higher kingdom and there is a higher law. And miracles are when heaven starts invading earth. Miracles are on earth as it is in heaven. That is a miracle because there is no sickness in heaven. There is no poverty in heaven. There is no depression in heaven. There are no wars in heaven. So if we cry out, on earth, God, be it done on earth as it is in heaven. We are crying out for a miracle. And I love what Pastor Giselle, when he was preaching this message uh, in church, he said this, faith grabs hold of the reality of heaven and forcefully and violently brings it into a collision 
with this natural one and the inferior kingdom cannot stand a chance. Woo! Woo! I love that. When heaven starts invading earth, come on earth, watch out. That's why the women at the <laughs> Wild, Strong, and Free conference, you had no idea what you were getting into. Because when you start having encounters with God, all the I can't, and I don't know, and it's all of a sudden, it's like, come on, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because all of a sudden, faith comes in. Faith that starts in heaven, that originates in heaven, starts crashing down on your personality that's timid, and I can't do it. And all of a sudden, you find yourself wild, strong, and free. All right, I'm not in the conference right now, but I had to put that in. Romans 4, 20 to 21. You're still okay. Give me five more minutes. It says, no unbelief or distrust made him waver. This is Abraham, doubtingly questioned concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. It says here, that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able. And if we are going to believe for miracles, we need to believe that God is able. Because guess what? <laughs> we do the easy part. <laughs> we, do, we raise our staff and the waters part. We pour the water and the water turns into wine. We do the easy part. God does the impossible. The widow, all she had to do was pour the oil. That's easy. I can pour oil every day, any day, 24-7 but I can't make it multiply. So if we are going to believe for miracles, we have to believe that God will do the impossible. We have to believe that God will put his supernatural on our natural. All he's asking for us to do is to trust in him. All he's asking for us to do is to take that first step and he'll do the rest. I love in the Bible how every time women, not perfect men and women, but men and women who just stepped out on a word from God experienced mighty miracles. They did the easy part. God did the impossible part. God can heal even the most dreaded disease. He can turn the hardest heart around. He can calm a storm. He can even send money from unexpected sources. If he could send a raven to feed his prophet. When there's a knock on your door and there's a cow. Whatever, God, you can do whatever you want. God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. He can use people you've never even met. He can do that in us and through us. Amen. Hallelujah. So four things. It's time to believe for more than what you deserve. It is time to believe that God is good. It is time to believe that God has good plans for you. And it is time to believe for miracles. And maybe there are some of you here Oh, you've been walking your Christian life and you've been wanting for so much more. Let me challenge you. It is time for us to require and demand an experience from what we believe. Because God's word does not come back void. His word is meant to produce. His word is meant to be fulfilled. And so I challenge you, believe for so much more than you have ever dreamed of. Do not dream small, dream big. Because if you can fulfill your dream by yourself and in of your own strength, I can guarantee you that is not from God.
because a dream from God, He can only fulfill. He can only fulfill. You need faith. So, let me challenge you. Dream big dreams that you cannot bring to pass. Dream big dreams that you will need faith for. It's time to believe. Amen? I want, could I ask that song about the faith, his faithfulness will never let you down? That's a, that's a wonderful song to just, you know, and I just like, just right now, and uh, I, I don't know, like, how many of you are here. Maybe you're from another church. Uh, maybe you're just visiting over for the weekend. It's time to believe that Jesus loves you. And it's time to believe that he is Lord and he is Savior of your life. And maybe there are some of you here. Maybe you, you're hearing some of these things for the very first time, but there's a stirring in your heart. I really believe that this day, it is time to believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because only he can heal a wounded heart. Only he can restore a dream. Only he can put together what has been broken. Only he can give eternal life. And so if there's anybody here and you're saying, I want that. I want the assurance of eternal life. I want the assurance that the good plans that have been prepared for me from the foundation of the world, I can walk in. I want the assurance that can, I can ask for what I do not deserve and humbly receive it. But it all starts with first believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if there is anybody here in this house and you're saying, today, I'm going to receive him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It is a prayer to receive him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. So speak this prayer after me. If that is you. If it's not you, I would encourage you to also speak this prayer to encourage those who are going to speak it for the first time. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts, he is Lord, we shall be saved. So we're going to do that right now. Is that okay? That'd be all right. So pray with me. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me. Today I receive you into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. From this day on, I am now your child. I am in the family of God. I am yours, and you are mine. I thank you for eternal life today. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, right after the service, you can approach any of the leaders here that you see right in front. And you can say, I prayed that prayer for the first time. I'd like to know more. So later on after the service, I would encourage you to do that. We'll be here, you know, for just a couple of minutes to do that. But I want you to stand up right now. And let's just sing this song one more time. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.